3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nations. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis, and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. Good morning, listeners. You're on Thursday morning breakfast, 3CR, 855 a.m. And I'm in the studio with Malika and with Silent Inez, who's visiting us today, and Rosie, who's in the next uh, studio. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Rosie, are you there? I feel like we do this every week. We do this we, every week. Where we struggle to get the person in the other room in. They're actually not in the room. But oh, okay. Well, incredible. It's just the two of us right now. Um, but, yeah, it's a, you know, it's one of those weeks we were talking about this before. It's uh, everybody's having a time. Um, I shout out to all my hay fever honeys who are having an incredibly difficult time. I wish they did a Telfast 360. Do they? It's just It just goes up to 120. I, I'm I'm sadly not a hay fever sufferer. I'm That's so not sorry. sad. That's great. Um, yeah, no, I just know that everyone's been struggling. But you know, mm. the pollen count website, you can check that every day. The pollen it's it's been it's been in the red constantly. But recommend uh, for people who haven't considered it before, because I only developed hay fever a few years ago. I was like, why do I feel awful all the time? And the, went to the doctor and was like, am I dying? And he was like, no, you have hay fever. So. You know, just in case. But also, if you have sniffles that are out of the ordinary, please get tested. Just um, want to say that, yeah. Yeah, because I think especially with the vaccination rate being quite high um, and with, you know, the, the dulling effects on the, on the virus that being vaccinated has, uh, sometimes you might, you might not clock that you are actually infected. So it's really important to get tested if there's anything out of the ordinary. Yeah, completely agree. Speak to a medical professional. Go get tested. Yeah, so um, we've got a we've got a big show uh, as usual. Uh, shall we jump into our rundown? Yes. So first up, we're going to be joined by Cam Walker, who's the campaigns coordinator at Friends of the Earth Melbourne, and Cam's joining us to talk about the climate crisis and what has happened at COP26 in Glasgow so far. We will then um, hear an expert from a recent episode of Earth Matters with Dr. Mary Graham. A- a Mary and Waka Waka person from southeast Queensland, Dr. Graham speaks about collaborative governance and relational ethos. Earth Matters is broadcast on Sunday from 11 to 11.30 on 3CR. We will then be speaking with Alex from Cuddle, which is the Community Union Defence League, and they will be joining us to chat about supporting community as we emerge from lockdown. And finally, uh, you know, drum roll, please. But we are joined by Associate Professor Chelsea Watergo, who's a Mananjali and South Sea Islander woman. And Chelsea's work has drawn attention to the role of race in the production of health inequalities. She's a founding board member of Inala Wangara, which is an indigenous community development association within her community. And she's a director of the Institute for Collaborative Race Research. And of course, today she joins us to discuss her new book, Another Day in the Colony, which was published this week by the University of Queensland Press. And it went into reprint on publication day. How massive is that? That is such massive news. Huge congratulations. They're in order. This is so exciting.
I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. If you're a renter experiencing hardship due to the pandemic, you can check now to see if you're eligible to apply for the Victorian Government's new one-off rental relief grant worth up to $1,500. To help you, Tenants Victoria have put together an eligibility checklist. This will make it easier for you to assess whether you're eligible to apply for the grant, which is paid as a contribution towards rent. There are some steps involved to qualify for the grant. See the checklist for more information and visit the Tenants Victoria website for further details on how to apply. Go to tenantsvic.org.au and search for Rent Relief Grants. Tenants Victoria is a 3CR supporter. And we're back on Thursday morning breakfast, 3CR 855 AM. It is seven past eight, uh, sorry, eight past seven in the morning. And Rosie's with us now. Hey, Rosie. Hello. Oh, welcome to, well, welcome to breakfast. Thank you. I was just like fiddling around with my panel and being like, I hope this is, this is right, but it's right. Woohoo. It's right. time. Yeah. And Rosie was, of course, squirreling away doing some of the background stuff to get us the run <laughs> sheets for this morning. We are, we're very on top of it. Um, so, I might just jump into the news headlines for this week. So, in headlines this week for the, thir- the week of uh, the 4th of November 2021, first up, the federal government's religious discrimination bill is facing more internal resistance this week in a third revision attempt. The bill includes a clause that would give legal protection to someone expressing a statement of belief. The Australian Christian lobby has boasted about successfully pressuring the government to include what is known as the Folau Clause, but some MPs continue to express reservations. Previous drafts of the bill have been criticised by the Australian Human Rights Commission, the Australian Medical Association and LGBTIQ groups. In other federal government news, Council representing the Resource Minister in a case concerning fracking in the Beedaloo Basin in the Northern Territory has this week conceded that actions taken by the coalition government to bring forward contracting with Empire Energy were regrettable. The court heard that actions taken by the federal government denied the opportunity for the Environment Centre Northern Territory to undertake standard processes, including seeking an order from the court to prevent signing of such agreements until the case is finalised. And you can find out more about fracking in the Beedaloo Basin uh, by visiting SeedMob on all their socials and also on their website. And finally, facial recognition firm Clearview AI has this week been ordered by Australia's Privacy Commissioner to cease collecting photos of Australians from the Internet. It was revealed this week that Clearview AI approached Queensland Police, Victoria Police and the Australian, Australian Federal Police to offer trial services and that police in some states have used the technology. On Wednesday, the commissioner determined Clearview AI had breached the privacy of individuals by collecting images of them online and ordered the company to delete all images of people in Australia within 90 days and not to collect any more. 
Clearview AI has stood its ground, saying it operates legitimately in Australia and intends to appeal the decision. So now that's all that we've got for news headlines. But Rosie and I wanted to jump in with uh, with something else that has been, well, that we've been thinking about this week. Uh, basically, it's about the uh, alleged assault uh, by uh, Collingwood Football Club player Jordan Degoe in New York. Uh, Rosie, did you want to... Do you want to have a bit of a chat about that? Yeah, well, I guess we were just thinking about, you know, we're both obviously football fans and now and then we let that um, kind of bleed out into the into the radio world. And I guess we just wanted to discuss it because it it's uh, not just an instance with Jordan Degoy, but is really reflective of a very to- toxic and, um, yeah, distressing culture within the AFL and, you know, within within, I guess, so-called Australian culture more broadly. So, yeah, we wanted to touch on it for that, for that reason, I guess. Yeah, and also, you know, if, if you've been looking at any of the media reporting around this this week, but also just classic reporting from, um, you know, from major broadcasters that, uh, you know, that, that generate a lot of revenue from covering the AFL, um, there's also been this active mystification and, you know, deflection from these kinds of concerns framing you know, what happened in New York or what's alleged to have happened as, uh, you know, just an unfortunate incident or, you know, having a hard time. You know, it's 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 quite it's quite ridiculous when you see the way that mainstream media outlets do kind of frame this as if it is, um, you know, as if it shifts the blame and victim blames as well. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I saw a tweet of a um, a Fox footy headline that kind of framed this as, you know, Jordan DeGoey's, uh, you know, trip to New York from hell or nightmare trip to New York when, in fact, um, you know, that, that is kind of the wrong framing, really. And um, it, it was, a yeah, the article kind of listed all these other players who had had, you know, these nightmare overseas trips, but that completely um, eclipses the fact that um, in in many of these cases there are victims and uh, yeah it's just it's just a classic framing from the AFL really or from the football culture more broadly that they, that that centres these these really um, these players yeah and I think one one reason why we really wanted to bring it to light this morning is because a previous student of St Kevin's College which is where Jordan Degoe also went to school um, and of course uh, if people aren't familiar St Kevin's is a same-sex Catholic high school in Melbourne um, and uh, James Robinson made a post on Instagram which drew attention to this sort of culture of impunity and patriarchal toxic masculinity at the school and he talked about not being surprised um, about these kinds of allegations um, and, quote, St. Kevin's is a bubble where privileged young men can rehearse oppression without consequence before graduating with flying colours into public, a place where locker room talk exists openly in hallways and classrooms. And it really is, you know, important that people that are within these institutions who have attended these institutions are speaking out and challenging some of these discourses. And I really hope to see um, some more public discussion from, from footy players as well and from um, you know, from people that are involved in the industry. I mean, we know that there are, there are lots of problems in terms of the way that uh, people are valorized and there is this culture of impunity, but we've got to start challenging it. Yeah, absolutely, and hopefully we can follow that up next week as well, maybe um, speak to someone on the show. Yeah, and, uh, well, Rosie, do you want to maybe pivot away from that and go into introducing our first song for this week, which is by, you know, speaking of footy, which is by one of our lovely friends. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm actually 
our listeners can't see it, but I'm wearing a beautiful T-shirt, which I arrived in the mail a couple of days ago by this artist. So this is a song um, from one of my football team members, uh, Bonnie, and the song is called... So it's got a couple of names. It's actually called um, Bruce Springsteen is My Butch Auntie, but I believe if you need to search it on Spotify because of uh, copyright reasons, it's called Bruce is My Butch Auntie. So this one is by Bonnie. And 
that was Bruce Springsteen is my butch auntie, but obviously for copyright purposes on the album, it's just called Bruce is my butch auntie by our friend Bonnie. And what an amazing album it is. I really recommend people go check it out. Um, yeah, it's look, I'm just so glad that we got to play Bonnie. So shout out to Rosie for making sure that we got that done. Um, and now we're going to go into another track if I can pull it up. Um, yeah, sorry. Bear with me for a moment, listeners. Um, but this is Safety by Becca Hatch. I don't need this dress. I don't need you calling my line. I don't need this press.
You're listening to 3CR 855 AM. We just heard a wonderful track called Safety by Becca Hatch, um, and it has just hit 7.22 AM this morning. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Yan. Environmental Film Festival Australia is back for 2021. This year's digital festival invites you to take a journey with a series of thought-provoking films, documentaries and shorts. EFA 21 invites you to explore the world and connect with environmental issues beyond the headlines. Take a journey into the deepest seas, up awe-inspiring mountains and into the lives of those fighting to save our planet. Running from October 14 to November 14, visit effa.org.au for more. The Environmental Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. Victoria, as we get ready to get back out there, you need to get your COVID-19 digital certificate ready too. First, create a MyGov account if you don't have one. Then, make sure your Medicare and MyGov accounts are linked. Then, add your COVID-19 digital certificate to the Service Victoria app. Then, get ready to go. Your vaccination is your ticket to everything you love and miss. For more on adding your vaccination certificate on your smartphone, go to coronavirus.vic.gov.au forward slash vaxproof. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. You're on 3CR Thursday morning breakfast. And up next, we're speaking with Cam Walker, Campaigns Coordinator at Friends of the Earth. And Cam is joining us on Thursday breakfast this morning to talk in general about the climate crisis and specifically what has been going on at COP26 in Glasgow this week. Good morning, Cam. Thanks so much for joining us. Cam, have we got you there? Can you hear me? Uh, Yes, we can now. Good morning. How are you going? Thank you. How about you? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Um, so um, I guess we've been talking a little bit about uh, COP26 over the last few weeks and also about the UN Biodiversity Conference that um, happened a few weeks ago as well. Last week we had Falole Tupula from the Pacific Climate Warriors talking about the build-up to COP26, which um, many listeners may have heard. But if they didn't, could you just give us a brief overview of what COP26 is and kind of what it's intending to achieve. COP, Conference of Parties, is a United Nations gathering that happens every four or five years, and uh, we have several hundred uh, international treaties. One of them relates to climate, and the Conference of Party process around climate change is uh, where the countries get together and they make commitments and they review previous commitments. The one that's currently underway and it's got about another 10 days to run, it, they've just finished day three over there, is being hosted in Glasgow in Scotland. 
and it's a really, really important one. This is a process that's been going on for decades, but it's a really important one because back in 2015 at the COP then, uh, the Paris Agreement was, was established and that's where they agreed uh, that all the countries would attempt to commit to emission reductions that would keep us, quote, well under two degrees of warming. So this is the, the meeting where we're meant to you know, return after those six years away and report on what we're doing and particularly what we're doing in the short term, that is, targets through to 2030. Yeah, well, on that point, um, I thought we'd begin by just talking about the Australian government's current uh, current target. So the Australian government's current near-term emissions target is to cut emissions by 26% below 2005 levels by 2030, which is a target that hasn't really shifted since Tony Abbott was Prime Minister. Um, obviously, this is a completely inadequate cut and um, there are calls, you know, for between 50 to 75 percent um, below t- 2005 levels. So I was wondering if you could just um, run us through the, gar- the government's current position on climate crisis and um, what this kind of means in the global context as well. Yes. So generally the assessment, and this is a conservative assessment, um, is that we need all countries to accept a 55% by 2030 target if we're going to have a hope of holding towards 1.5 degrees of warming. So 55%, but our country is only committed to 26 to 28%. So given how wealthy we are and given how much capacity we have to adopt, to transition into renewables, what we have on the table is both embarrassing and laughable. And if you compare it to some of the other commitments, um, the USA under Biden has committed to 50 to 52% in that same time frame. The UK's got a commitment of 68%, although that's against a, a different measure, which is 1990. Canada's gone for 40 to 45. The European Union's gone to 55. So compare, say, 55% for the European Union and 26% for us. So where we're at is just a deep embarrassment and an abject failure of leadership. And that's because our government, as we have witnessed in recent months, the debate within the federal coalition between the nationals, uh, particularly up north, who are just so pro-coal, and um, many people in the federal government who are obviously climate change deniers and who are absolutely wedded to the idea of a gas-led recovery and further development of oil, coal and gas. And that's basically uh, resulted in this really paltry uh, target that we've taken to Glasgow. Yeah, thank you for that clarification. I think it is, um, you mentioned there the different uh, measures which people are basing their targets on. And this is, it's one of those things, um, obviously we know like the the, uh, net zero by 2050 is really like we all kind of understand that that that's one thing. But when we do talk about emissions, sometimes it's not totally clear what the different sources of emissions are, um, specifically coming from this continent or so-called Australia and also um, they talk about offsets. And I was wondering if you could talk a bit about carbon offsets and both where our emissions are coming from and what, off- what carbon offsets are and whether that's actually um, dealing with the source problem. Yep. So in terms of sources, a huge part of our emissions come from our stationary energy sector, which, of course, is largely still reliant on coal. Here in Victoria, we have three of the very large coal, dirty old uh, coal-fired power stations that are powered by brown coal. So a lot of our emissions do come from that. A lot of our emissions come from transport. So in Victoria, after the coal-fired power stations, the next largest profile of emissions comes from transport. Um, Agriculture is obviously a really important one. And then also um, our housing. So there was a really interesting report 
that came out today from a community housing organisation that said around 6 million of the homes that exist in Australia were built before there were energy efficiency standards. And so, you know, people that might be tenants or owners are basically burning their money because to heat or cool the house, the energy just goes straight out through the walls because there's no insulation. They suggested that around 16% of the country's emissions come down to housing stock. So it's a variety of sources. It's stationary energy, it's transport, it's agriculture, and it's the energy we consume in the domestic, commercial and manufacturing spaces. In terms of offsetting, offsetting is really problematic and one of the really worrying things that we've noticed is that under the current, you can't even call it a commitment, the pamphlet that the federal government released to explain its position at Glasgow, they said that they're now going to start to look into international offsets. So that's where um, you pay someone else so that you can pollute. So we'll keep uh, producing gas, but we'll pay someone else to plant or look after uh, a forest. Now, the dilemma with this is that internationally, there is any number of examples of human rights abuses, whereby people are pushed off their lands in order to have a forest protected. Uh, We've seen forests destroyed in order to create palm oil plantations, and we've seen continued environmental decline under so-called offset schemes. So if you were going to use offsetting so that you could continue to pollute but still be sitting at zero in terms of overall emissions, the key thing we need to do is to use and create those offsets locally so we can make sure that they're robust and that they actually exist. And one other little example of the dilemma with offsetting, um, you, you might notice there's you know a number of firms in Australia that will say, look, if you drive a car, we'll offset your emissions by planting trees and you pay us to plant trees. And, you know, that's, that's a nice idea. In the United States and in Canada, vast areas of forest that were set aside as offsets have burnt in their summer because of the climate change driven fires that ripped across the northern hemisphere this year. So an offset isn't necessarily permanent. It's it's an offset of carbon for a period of time that may over time then re-enter the environment. And so you have the pollution that you did and then you pay to have someone offset your pollution and then that pollution is subsequently released. So you double your pollution. Mm, it's quite through using offsets. Yeah, it's quite clear from yeah what you're saying there that while offsets um, may be worthwhile in terms of um, making up some small part of um, reaching net zero, and if they especially if they can be uh, yeah um, established locally rather than kind of be sent overseas where they can't be monitored at all. But it's it's not it's not the answer, and sometimes it feels like the way that the government talks about it here is is offsetting is is the answer to our problems when in fact what we need to do is actually uh yeah <laughs> stop emitting in the first place yes, yes. Uh, and the first thing we need to do is keep remaining fossil fuels in the ground. And it's really interesting that at the COP there is actually a conversation around how do we accelerate the phase out of coal. And one of the, there are actually some good things that have so far come out of, you know, the, the, the COP. Um, yesterday I was feeling quite depressed because it felt like, oh gosh, you know, we've had all the politicians fly in, make some announcements and leave and nothing else will come out of it. Mm. But um, this whole conversation of how do we accelerate the phase out of coal is underway. And there was a really interesting deal um, around providing money for a just energy transition in South Africa. So um, I think with the UK, the European Union and the USA put around $8 billion on the table. 
to help South Africa, which is at present heavily reliant on coal to produce its electricity, to transition away from its reliance on coal, but in a way that would look after the jobs of the mine workers. So there really are, you know, some good things that are happening. Probably the other key things have been an agreement to halt deforestation, although, of course, the devil is in the detail on that one. And... Um, there's a very long conversation around the finances that are required from the rich nations to support the global south as they both transition to clean energy and deal with the consequences of climate change, such as sea level rise. And then there was also an agreement to reduce methane emissions by 30% by 2030, and about 100 nations, sadly not Australia, has signed on to that one. Yeah, thank you for that little um, wrap on, on everything. There's so much in all of what you're saying um I was just thinking back to what you were talking about with housing and housing stock, especially yeah, here and this kind of report that, you know, some large amount of emissions is actually coming from our bad housing stock. I think anyone who's a renter would know that experience of um, trying to keep your house warm or cool is a, is a complete, you know, it's a, it's a losing battle and it's, it's an incredibly expensive battle, both in terms of cost and also obviously in terms of emissions as well. Um, you just mentioned th- this um, 30% cut to methane emissions, uh, which leaders signed, um, unfortunately not um, the Australian Prime Minister. But um, the Australian Prime Minister has been talking up these kind of technical solution, technological solutions to climate change um, and rather than kind of committing to targets. Uh, obviously, this is, you know, it's a shirking of responsibility. Um, and I'm wondering, like, I think... In a, in a kind of positive way, I'm thinking, I'm wondering whether you could talk to, you know, some of the things that could be done. You mentioned um, some things that are happening in, at COP around um, uh, phasing out coal. But what are things that you believe could be done on this continent, especially for industries like, like mining and like coal, um, that could see us achieve the necessary cuts? There's so many things we can do. We just need, uh, the federal government needs to get out of the way if they're not going to help, and they've really not been helping. They've been stuck on this idea of the gas-led recovery, which means drilling more gas in particular, but also promoting oil. So um, they've, they've opened up vast areas offshore to the Australian continent to new oil and gas. You know, they're putting huge volumes of public funds into developing new gas in the Northern Territory and so on. So what they need to do is stop putting subsidies into that and put subsidies into renewables and storage but as we were talking about the houses before energy efficiency is really important in this because responses to energy efficiency such as retrofitting those dodgy rental houses that we've all lived in to make them you know nicer places to live in that's actually a job rich solution so shift the money from the fossil fuels and put it into solutions that would be the first thing that we could do that would be absolutely fantastic Restoration forestry would be another thing. Uh, Australia did sign on to the deforestation plan and that intends to halt and reverse deforestation and land degradation. So there's a lot of work to be done here. We pay farmers, we pay landowners to protect existing forests and woodlands and then we pay people to go out and do the work to restore those areas. That would be fantastic. And then there's a huge amount of information out there about how we could become a renewable energy superpower if we wanted to, and that is to produce green hydrogen, that is using renewable energy and water to create hydrogen that could be used in steelworks and could be exported um, to other countries in the region. So there's, there's, there's 
no lack of ideas of things we can do. There's just, you know, the lack of vision. And, and to give you another example, we have 12 offshore wind proposals waiting to go in Australia. There's this growing industry, particularly in the North Sea offshore from Scotland. You know, there's this massive industry. We just are not in that game because the Federal Energy Minister hates wind energy, is on the record for doing that. And the Federal Government has dragged its feet on creating legislation that would allow us to actually assess whether offshore wind projects should proceed. So just doing things like that, they have actually released the legislation, the framework legislation for the offshore wind a year and a half late, but it's great that it's finally happened, so now we can start to get on with them. Offshore wind is really important because it offers same-sector jobs for people currently employed in the offshore oil and gas industry. Mm. So in our responses, we always need to think about a just and fair transition, and as we transition particularly our hard energy sector, stationary energy, we need to make sure that communities and workers aren't left behind. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, that's such an important point, isn't it? Yeah, um, speaking about that just transition, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, last week we spoke, as I was saying, with um, Pacific Climate Warriors and, you know, we've been talking over the last few weeks about biodiversity loss and about um, the links with colonisation um, we've seen at COP26, um, you know, really important speeches by um, people like the Samoan activist Brianna Fruin and um, the Youth for Pacific Declaration, which we spoke about last week. Obviously, it's um, incredibly important that the leadership of Pacific and First Nations communities are um, is followed on these issues. And I know that's what we're talking about when we're talking about climate justice. So I was wondering if you could um, speak to the importance of that both here and also, you know, how you see that playing out at COP. Yes, so there's, um, as we said before, there's a number of key themes that are happening at the COP, and one is the acceleration of coal of the phase-out. Um, one is protection of people in ecosystems. One is how we mobilise finances to help people adapt but also transition their the uh, current energy that they're on. But a big part of it is also adaptation. So we know with our Pacific Island neighbours, many of the atoll nations are facing already storm surge and, and rising sea levels. So the the debate at present that will happen this week is exactly how much money will the global north put on the table to assist the global south to transition. That's essential that we get that right. We have, a, a, sadly, a history of committing large and delivering little. So this conversation happens all the time. Um, however, it is interesting to see that with the USA rejoining what they call the High Ambition Coalition, the groups that are going to go hard, that shifts the dynamics a little bit. But what we hear from our people who are in Glasgow is that First Nation voices are being excluded, and that is because civil society is largely being excluded, and that's being presented as a COVID issue, that there isn't actually enough room for everyone to get into uh, you know, the, the facilities where the negotiations are happening. But what that means is that First Nation voices are being sidelined. So we have this dilemma that's been caused by the pandemic, but unfortunately, of course, the fossil fuel companies are getting in there. Look at the Australian mm. display with Santos all over it, whereas, you know, First Island grassroots, sorry, First Nation grassroots actually aren't necessarily getting the platform that they really need. Um, so, you know, this is an ongoing issue, but I do feel uh, 
um, heartened when uh, I've seen some of the speeches from some of the leaders of particularly vulnerable nations um, mm-hmm. that have been very strong in the plenary. And just I think it was yesterday, uh, Fiji said, look, it's great. Australia wants to support us, but they need to stop digging up so much coal. So I feel like the voices are there. And the vulnerable nations increasingly act as a block, and the Africans often act as a block, and the Africans know how vulnerable they are to the impacts of climate change as well. They have to hope that the, the sheer numbers and then the relative leadership of the European Union that generally does get climate change, when you put all that together, that starts to push against the laggards and the dinosaurs. And unfortunately, at this meeting, it's at countries like China, Russia and Australia, you know, we're, we're the ones that are putting the anchors on and really not committing to much. So it's, it's always unfortunate when we align ourselves with the big oil-producing countries um, you know, and we're not aligning ourselves with our neighbours in the Pacific or the progressive uh, blocs uh, such as the European Union. Yeah, thanks, Cam. It, sometimes it feels like um, the Australian government forgets actually where our country is located and that the Pacific is our region. Um, I just wanted to wrap up with a question about, uh, you know, campaigns that are ongoing, um, what Friends of the Earth are currently involved in and how listeners can get involved um, in, you know, fighting the climate crisis um, and putting, putting that pressure on governments or into more grassroots um, um, activities shortage of things to do. Uh, one thing locally that we're working on is the offshore oil and gas. So the uh, government earlier in the year released massive areas of ocean areas from the Kimberley in WA right down um, into Western Victoria and Gippsland. They have just announced that community consultation on that will start. If we can really generate mass numbers, we can actually knock that off. Companies need to bid into that by March next year, so that's a very live issue at present locally. You've got the development of gas um, in the Beedaloo Basin, Basin in the Northern Territory, so I'd be looking up um, Original Power, which is an Indigenous First Nation-led uh, climate justice group up in the Territory, and I'd be looking up Lock the Gate for supporting um, initiatives against fracking, uh, particularly in New South Wales and Queensland. So if you started with those three campaigns, um, you'd find plenty to do. Thank you so much, Cam, for just taking us through all of that. It can be overwhelming sometimes, these sort of international summits. We really appreciate um, your insights. Yes, you're welcome. And I guess the one thing I would say is it, it often feels overwhelming. And, it, you know, you've got 200 countries at the table, so any agreement is lowest common denominator. But every day the UN Environment Programme basically crunches the numbers um, on what has been committed. And they have identified that we've brought the warming down probably to 2.7 degrees of warming if we all stick to our commitment. So it's really important. We're on a trajectory to three to four degrees of warming. So already we've kind of, you know, bent the arc down and we need to keep going so we can bring it down closer to the 1.1 degrees that we're already at. Thank you, Cam. That was Cam Walker, Campaigns Coordinator at Friends of the Earth, Melbourne. And Cam joined us this morning to talk about the climate crisis and what has been happening so far at COP26 in Glasgow. You're on 3CR Thursday morning breakfast. Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards, plastic-free stationery and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. 
Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. Now, you may be wondering why we have played so much incredible music this morning. Well, two songs so far, but there's more to come. Um, it's because November is Oz Music Month. That's right, everyone. Uh, as we come out of lockdown, just really encouraging people to, you know, keep supporting those artists who have lost a huge amount of revenue from gigs and whatnot. Check out gigs that are, um, you know, up and coming. People are, people are starting to get out in the world again. And, um, I think we should be supporting as much as possible. So we're going to jump into another tract. This is Beautiful World by Socrates, Zima, and Kalala. Beautiful world 
could sell heaven to hell, what is it worth? You are listening to 3CR 855 AM. We just heard the wonderful track, Beautiful World, um, by Socrates, Zima, and Kalala. Um, And we are now going to head into um, another segment. We're going to hear an excerpt from a recent episode of Earth Matters with Dr. Mary Graham, a combo Mary and Waka Waka person from southeast Queensland. Dr. Graham speaks about collaborative governance and relational ESOS, and you can listen to Earth Matters on Sundays from 11 till 11.30 a.m. on 3CR. But let's hear from this wonderful interview from Earth Matters now. I'd like to acknowledge that I live on Jagara and Turrbal country here in North Brisbane and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. And I always like to acknowledge the ongoing impacts and legacy of colonisation and the role that many of us um, are trying to play in decolonising our minds, hearts and spirits and the work that we do here in this continent. That acknowledgement was given by Dr Michelle Maloney, co-founder and national convener of the Australian Earth Laws Alliance for the sixth Women's Climate Conversation, titled listening to First Nations knowledge to inform Earth-centred collaborative governance. Dr. Michelle Maloney is working with Dr. Mary Graham on a book, Future Law, How Indigenous First Laws, the Relationist Ethos and Ecological Governance can be a foundation for our future. We'll hear first from Mary Graham. She was born in Brisbane and grew up on the Gold Coast. She's a Kombu Mary person and is also affiliated with the Waka Waka group through her mother. She's lectured and tutored on Aboriginal history, politics and comparative philosophy at the University of Queensland and at other educational institutions around the country and has held many roles in organisations. Dr Mary Graham. I've always been wondering since I was quite young about how did this come to be the, the things that have happened to Australia over the last couple of centuries, uh, and then further than that, of course, a couple of thousand, you know, millennia. How did these things happen? How did they come about and so on? And I suppose from a, um, a shared law concept is I usually repeat the question posed by Irene Watson, who, who is an expert in law, both Aboriginal and Western law. By what law do you or these people come to this country? By what law? Because all actions and decisions, everything like that, thinking, is usually, traditionally, culturally, it comes into the area of, so how you act, how you make decisions, for what reasons you make decisions, in what area uh, of life or existence that you're talking about, it always has something to do with the law. And so the, the law, in that sense, as I understand it, uh, in this broad sense, it's a very, very broad, deep um, thing. It's to do with the whole of existence. It's not, it's not man-made law uh, in that sense, as I understand it. So I suppose starting off with the, the book and how we had to work these things out ourselves, me and uh, Michelle, one of the very first things I was saying was it's impossible, actually. Basically, the whole thing is impossible to bring two such different laws together, not just simply because ours is so old, it's so old and it involves all kinds of things, 
plus the fact that uh, Western law upholds colonialism and imperialism. It upholds it. It's the foundation of it, actually. So how can two such completely different sort of ways get together? And I suppose that is going to be an ongoing thing. So, yes, it is very different. There won't be, as far as I am aware, anyway, and know that Aboriginal law is going to be subsumed within Western law. Not at all. It's not going to, even though it looks like that, and the attempt is always made like that. It just doesn't work. And yet, what we have to do is to try and get on. And this is the brilliance of um, Aboriginal thinking and uh, cultural history, cultural being, is that they actually did work out a way of how do you live together while people are not necessarily, they don't get on or they don't like each other. How do you do that? How do you continue to live together? But certainly not by living in each other's, as they say, pocket, you know, not by one dominating the other, not by people uh, warring, you know, in conflict completely. And yet some way we have to work this out. And that's the entrance into, I guess, the relationalism. And that's what Aboriginal people sort of figured out. So somehow, I don't know how, uh, but I think that's the real question that the book poses. Uh, it's going to be very difficult. But, you know, everybody's here forever, you know. Don't think Australians are going to go back to England anytime soon. <laughs> No, nor would we want to because we're, um, we're all intermarried and interconnected and so on and so on. Things are changing very rapidly, so it is a different world now, but it's still, a, it's still an Aboriginal country, as Aboriginal people themselves say, always was, always will be. But I like to quote an old uh, Aboriginal activist called Mum Shirl. I don't know if people are familiar with the name. Sydney, uh, Sydney Curry. Sorry, I don't know her mob. Uh, she died now. But she said something along the lines of, um, if only they'd come here differently, not in an invasive way, and told us their problems of being um, kicked out of the country, basically, you know, by convict, you know, the terrible system of uh, suffering. She goes on a, a little bit like that. And then she says, we could have worked something out, actually. We could have worked something out because the people didn't didn't realise or didn't acknowledge or didn't even want to know that we're the kind of la the landlords, you know. Aboriginal people cross the country; they're the landlords of the country. They've run the country for thousands of years, basically, and we worked out how to get on with each other. So it could have been worked out. So 200 years, 300 years later, we're just starting. I I hope. I I would hope that we're just starting to think, well, maybe that's a good idea to work out how we get on, both via the institutions, via that, uh, via um, our institutions, that is too, not just the Western ones, our institutions, a whole lot of different ways, as we said before, philosophically, psychologically and so on. So I'd like to leave it there about the book. Dr Mary Graham talking about the book Future Law, which she's writing with Michelle Maloney.
You're listening to 3CR 855 AM. We just heard an expert from a recent episode of Earth Matters with Dr. Mary Graham, a combo Mary and Waka Waka person from Southeast Queensland. Dr. Graham speaks about collaborative governance and relational ethos. Um, you can listen to Earth Matters, which is broadcast on Sundays from 11 to 11.30 AM on 3CR. And you can also listen back at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. We are now jumping into an interview with Alex from Cuddle and who's joining us to speak about supporting community as we emerge from the lockdown. Good morning, Alex. How are you? Oh, I'm all right. Yourself? Pretty good. As good as you can be on Thursday morning. Um, thanks again for joining us. For listeners that might not be aware, could you share a bit more about how Cuddle supports community here in so-called Melbourne? Well, I guess the community in Spence League's got its sort of flagship program being the strict conditions we run every weekend outside Dandong Plaza on Saturdays and Victoria State Library on Sundays, both running from uh, 3 to 6, where we distribute free meals, stuff like tea and coffee, clothes, blankets, masks, toiletries, sanitary products, a whole bunch of other stuff. We've been running the Melbourne Kitchen specifically for about two years now and Dandong Kitchen for just over a year, I think. Aside from those, there's also a bunch of other stuff that we do which isn't really codified as programs per se, but, yeah, stuff such as helping out sourcing food packages or, like, running solidarity kitchens. Yeah, the kitchens look absolutely amazing. Um, And I guess, like, as we open up or kind of return to normal after the most recent lockdown, a lot of people are talking about social exhaustion or re-entry anxiety. Whilst these are important considerations in their own right, it also feels like many members of community and their concerns are being forgotten. For community that you serve through your work through Cuddle, what are the major challenges being faced by community at the moment? One of them would probably have to be housing security, given the, um, like, oh, yeah, open up and somehow COVID is over, and then, um, oh, yeah, that means that we don't have to give as much support to people who would otherwise require it, like, um, I think it sort of comes out in the recent industrial action taken by workers from Launch Housing, which really shows how um, underappreciated, I guess, public housing and all that sort of sphere has become. It's, yeah, really unfortunate that somehow we were able to pay the hotels, like, so many, so much money and that we can't actually, you know, solve the problems. Although, I guess, you said, like, um, all, like, different uh, causes, not causes, but issues, concerns and whatnot of the community are forgotten. Uh, just a point on that. I don't think that they're forgotten per se yeah. or that they're in the back of people's minds, you know, because you always have the classic, uh, the image of the mother talking to the child, oh, eat your vegetables because someone else out there is missing out or stuff along those lines. Yeah. And so I think that they're always there and that yeah. the issues caused by capitalism are always there to see. The real issue, or one of them, is rather that the fact that these issues can be solved, like even the solutions are there, but people are so um, engrossed in, I guess, capitalist realism that the idea of actually working to solve these issues is seen as almost an impossibility, you know? Yeah, you're right. Thanks for pulling me up on that. And you're right in saying the solutions are there. We saw that last year with all the different payments being offered. Um, and it's it's not that the solution isn't there. It's, it sounds like it's just not prioritised. Um, yeah, definitely. And what are some of the other major challenges or concerns that Cuddle continues 
to face as they support community during this period? I guess hearkening back to the fact that um, powers that be aren't solving issues, the like the continuing harassment from council and yeah. like the police force, which really just don't like us there, I guess, because yeah. we are pointing out, we are bringing to light in front of the state library the issues yeah. that um, have plagued our society since, well, since sort of class society arose, I guess. Can you, for listeners that aren't aware, could you just please tell us a bit more about what's been happening when you you all have been supporting community out there, especially in front of State Library? Well, what generally happens is that a bunch of um, either people from the council or cops roll up, they start, like, um, you know, spouting their whole, oh, yeah, X, Y, Z law, you can't have this, you can't have that. It's basically, yeah, just harassment. Yeah. And so they claim, oh, yeah, you're violating a local law which requires X, Y, Z permit. Which we look up these sorts of laws and it's, oh, okay, well, we don't actually have that permit. Or this, um, you can't have this up. And it's really nebulous, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of getting in the way of the incredible work that all of you are doing through pulling up random laws or permits or different excuses like that. Um, and for listeners that would like to support um, and follow the work that you all do, where can they kind of keep up to date with what's going on? I guess the main way they could do that is by um, going on Facebook. You can find our page by searching up Community Defence League Melbourne. Yeah. Alternatively, a better way of going at it actually might be going to our website, www.cuddle.org.au slash vicbranch. Awesome, awesome. Um, thank you so much for joining us this morning, Alex, and for talking a bit more about the amazing work that you are all doing um, through Cuddle. Um, and, yeah, for listeners that are interested in following the work they're doing or maybe even volunteering yourself, you can check out their website or even follow them on Facebook. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, and we just spoke with Alex from Cuddle, which is the community union Defence League, and they joined us to chat about supporting community as we emerge from lockdown. Um, and Priya? Yeah, I think we might head into another track this morning. So uh, what we're going to hear now is Price I Paid by Maisha.
someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 500. That's 1300 500. Wellways supports 3CR. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM, and you just heard a track called Price I Paid by Maisha, and now we're going into Moonshine by Nairi, which is off her new album, Three. I am night sky, deep purple and blue dye. Some days you can hear me cry. Some days I'm okay, but not all. Sweet pie, sweet, sweet pie Remind me when we used to 
They're pulling on the boots in Brazil and wiping off the eggshells in Moorabbin. Fascism's on the march and we say, yeah, nah. Yena Pasaran is a new weekly program on 3CR dedicated to tracking this rise in Australia, Aotearoa and all around our increasingly warm little globe. Every Thursday at 4.30pm, we'll be talking to writers and fighters about some angry blighters. To enable change, we need to show broad community support. Show your support for walking and cycling in the city of Yarra by appearing as a champion on the Streets Alive website, representing your local street, neighbourhood or school. It's fast, free and simple. Learn more at streets-alive-yarra.org. A 3CR supporter. Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Coming at you on community radio stations around Australia, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost, and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else. Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is a bad deal, but Muckety is absolutely not a done deal. You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchist Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play. Tune in to Stick Together, worker stories and union news. Grassroots Voice is broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. Twenty Years on the Inside is an iconic new podcast series that gives voice to the experience of First Nations people in the Victorian prison system. Twenty Years on the Inside. I'm Vicky Roach. And I'm Kutcher Edwards. This series reflects on 20 years of listening to our mobs on the inside as part of the Beyond the Bars prison broadcast. 20 Years on the Inside is essential listening for anyone looking to educate themselves about the realities of life on the inside and the need to end Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander incarceration. Well, a lot of the boys mentioned about being in jail. What you do really isn't who you are. You know, it's how you love your family, it's how you care about your cousins, and it's how you care about your people. That's what, that's what this is about for me. Catch the podcast via the 3CR website or on your favourite podcast app.
a message from Victoria's community sector. I'm looking forward to not worrying that my patients are going to die of COVID. To no one else being separated from their mum in aged care. I'm looking forward to our wedding and having our family and friends from overseas here with us. I really want to see my mum. I'm looking forward to being able to welcome guests without a mask on. To having all the sports back to normal so that my family members can come and watch me play. I look forward to performing in front of a big crowd again. So please, get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Let's get back to the good things. I ask you to get vaccinated. For all of us. Please get vaccinated. A message from Victoria's community sector. Accent women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accent women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the How the can country. people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are, two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accent women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. On Community Radio 3CR. Panoply, Panorama, Panpipe, Pansy, Aha, Pansexual. Knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan.
You're listening to Thursday. You're listening to Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM, and you just heard a track called "Lemon" by Mokhtar, and before that, "Moonshine" by Nairi. And um, as I mentioned before, it is Oz. What? Oh my goodness! Now I've forgotten. Was it like Oz Music Month, November? Um, so make sure to you know get out there if you can support local artists. Um, so, as we mentioned earlier in the show, we were going to be joined by Associate Professor Chelsea Watergo to talk about her new book, Another Day in the Colony. Now, unfortunately, we've had some technical difficulties, but we are hoping to um, have a chat with Chelsea a little bit later on and bring that to you. Um, but I just wanted to mention how fabulous this book is and really encourage people to go have a look, um, you know, grab a copy for yourself and have a listen, uh, you know, have a read through it. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Another Day in the Colony uh, was published this week by the University of Queensland Press, and it went into reprint on publication day, which is just absolutely massive. Um, launched yesterday, and the launch was incredible, and it's just a really, you know, a really important um, book that you know, speaks totally outside of the paradigm of reconciliation and it weaves together memoir, manifesto and embodied sovereign theorizing on race and colonization. And it's just been, you know, a fantastic read and clearly so beautifully directed and a homage to black beauty, love, joy and resistance. Um, so, you know, there is um, there's so much there's so much to get out of this book um, and especially, you know, the uplifting of black love and black solidarity in the book, but also for settler listeners as well, you know, really recommend that people read this and, you know, sit with the messages in here. Uh, there is, yeah, there is, there's something for, you know, something for everyone to learn from this book and um, especially going towards the end of the book, um, making the case for, for nihilism and breaking down the function of hope in the way that it kind of pulls Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples back into the colonial, colonial settler state. Um, 
it was just really, really interesting and really enriching. So encourage people to go out and get a copy. Um, it was a real joy to read. And yeah, um, I look forward to, to speaking with the prof soon about this. And you can get a copy from the University of Queensland Press. Um, yeah, you're really selling it well, Priya. I'm super keen to go and buy a copy of that book today and get started on reading it. Um, and yeah, I guess maybe we can do a quick rundown of our show so far today. Yeah. So, um, Rosie, do you want to jump into it? Yeah. So first off, um, I spoke with Cam Walker, Campaigns Coordinator at Friends of the Earth Melbourne. And Cam joined us this morning to talk about the climate crisis and what has been happening at COP26 in Glasgow so far um, over the last few days. And that will be continuing for the next 10 days. So keep an eye on it. We then heard from um, an expert from a recent episode of Earth Matters with Dr. Mary Graham, a Kombumeri and Waka Waka person from southeast Queensland. Dr. Graham spoke about collaborative governance and relational ethos, um, and Earth Matters is broadcast on Sundays from 11 to 11.30 a.m. on 3CR, and you can also listen back at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. We then also heard from Alex from Cuddle, which is the Community Union Defence League and he joined us to speak about supporting community as we emerge from lockdown. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a massive show this week and um, had a ton of really amazing music. Um, I know you guys probably... Probably remember, long-time listeners, uh, probably remember Carly, our amazing, uh, still-in-the-WhatsApp group chat team member for Thursday Breakfast, who somehow realized that we would need a ton of music and just dropped us, like, 20 recommendations. So shout-out to DJ Calm B. People will say that the B stands for Beck, which is Carly's surname, but it actually stands for Banger. Um, so thanks to Carly for... You know, the incredible, incredible music, especially Lemon, which I hadn't heard before. Yeah, there was a few tracks I hadn't heard before. And, um, yeah, it's like Carly had a spidey sense. I was saying in the chat that um, Carly has some sort of spidey sense that we need musical guidance. So, um, yeah, big shout out. Absolute legend. All right. Well, I reckon we'll leave it there and we'll catch you guys next week. Bye. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. While you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.